Hello, and welcome to the IQT Podcast. Today's episode is hosted by BeNext, the life sciences arm of IQT that continues to identify, vet, and execute strategic investments in biotechnologies. BeNext's work is dedicated to the essential task of scaling up and industrializing the rapid design and manufacturing of medical countermeasures, particularly diagnostics and vaccines. This podcast series focuses on the technologies needed to fight the threat that infectious disease epidemics pose to national security and beyond. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. I'm Kevin O'Connell, Vice President at BeNext, which is the life sciences arm of IQT, singularly focused on the threats infectious disease epidemics pose to national security. So since May of 2020, we've been discussing uh, on this podcast the COVID-19 outbreak, and how the latest developments in technology are being applied to fight the pandemic, including the latest tools in synthetic biology. Uh, But today we're going to take a small break from COVID-19 as the focus. Uh, We're going to devote this episode to discussing some new developments in synthetic biology and how they're being commercialized. Today's guest is Gabriel Lopez, co-founder and CEO of Synvivia, a relatively new synthetic biology company, uh, whom I met while hosting a session at the 2020 SynBioBeta conference. Uh, Synvivia is making a new suite of tools to control the expression of genes in engineered microorganisms. Welcome, Gabriel. Thank you for having me, Kevin. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to found Synvivia and then what Synvivia was founded to do. Yeah, sure thing. Uh, So I founded Synvivia based off of my doctoral work uh, that I pursued in UC Berkeley. And the work, the project that I was working on was focused around the problem of how we might contain engineered organisms. And this was born out of the biofuels boom that you may remember, where there was a lot of investment in building microbes that could produce not only biofuels, but bioplastics, biopesticides, all sorts of good things. Um, And one of the concerns that some folks had was about what might happen if one of these engineered organisms were to escape into the environment and start to produce maybe a pesticide or an oil spill, and you know, maybe it's a little bit of science fiction, maybe it's not, but the concern was that we might end up with a living, growing, and evolving oil spill. So how do we contain uh, such an engineered organism? Mm-hmm. Luckily, some wise folks uh, put together money to fund that work, and that's really the technology that we developed. So we developed a genetically encoded biocontainment system in order to control engineered organisms, okay. and that's what Synvivia was founded on. So, uh, so that's interesting, and we'll get into what that containment entails in just a second. Who funded the work? Oh, uh, DARPA and NSF funded the work originally. Oh, okay. Well, that's a, a pair of uh, reasonably far-sighted organizations. That's great. <laughs> so, so what is biocontainment? And are there other reasons why one would want some sort of containment or control, you know, besides the hypothetical, you know, uh, escaped bug causes oil spill that you can't kill source, you know, the, or the, the doomsday scenarios? Yeah, I like, so we founded the company on biocontainment and we've actually grown what we're working on to, I would describe it as something more broad as protein switches, Mm -hmm. because this is really what allows us to provide both control and containment over engineered organisms. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'll start with a few definitions. What is a switch? A protein switch. I love analogies. 
you know, sometimes people get heat for that. I love them. Uh, but I like to think of a protein switch as the biological version of a light switch. Mm-hmm. It's a protein that can be used to turn other proteins or genes on and off. Pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, with light switch, we can flip it on with our finger. We can flip it off with our finger. Uh, and when we do this, the switch changes its physical state, its conformation, uh, in a way that allows electricity to flow through our light bulb or our radio or whatever it is. So what does the molecular equivalent of a light switch look like? Uh, it's a protein switch. The light switch really is, at the molecular level, a protein switch. And the light bulb, we could maybe switch our light bulb out for a GFP. And so... Well, what is GFP for our listeners? Oh, sorry. Yeah, green fluorescent protein. It's something that glows green when you shine a little bit of UV light at it. It uh-huh. is, you know, a, a biologist's light bulb. Okay. And so we can't switch a molecule on and off with our fingers because fingers are a little bit too big. Uh, Mm -hmm. So instead what we use is control chemicals. Mm -hmm. And what a control chemical will do is it'll bind our protein switch and flip it from off to on. And by flipping that protein switch on, we can activate our little molecular light bulb, which for our example is our green fluorescent protein. So that's really what I would describe in the abstract as a protein switch. Mm-hmm. And you know, light switches are great, uh, but there's so much more to switches than just light switches. Uh, they're really everywhere, or in every button, every dial, knob, mm-hmm. and any electronic that we're using, our computers, our cell phones, they're all running on switches, transistors. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this is really what allows us to control electricity. And it is our opinion, kind of the the idea that Synvavia was based on was that protein switches, biological switches are really what is going to allow us to really uh, harness the power of biology. So now, of course, uh, there are many protein switches that occur naturally. And the famous French scientists, uh, Jacob and Minaud, won the Nobel Prize in the 1960s for working out uh, one of the first uh, genetic switches, the, the, the switch that turns on and off uh, the so-called lactose operon in E. coli, uh, which lets E. coli either digest or not digest the sugar lactose. And we have used you know, the, the genetic switch for the lactose genes in the laboratory experimentally for many years. So what's the, what's the new piece that Synvivia is bringing to, uh, to protein switching? Yeah, so a couple different things. Uh, when we talk about protein switches, a large part of their utility really comes down to what we use to control them, the control chemicals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the chemicals that we use to control those switches really drive a lot of the uh, economics, if we're talking about the industrial side of things, Mm -hmm. or the clinical practicality uh, of the technology. So what do I mean by that? For example, if if the molecule that you use to activate your protein switch costs, uh, let's say 50 cents per liter, you know, that's, you know, well, that's not, then that can be kind of a challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it costs 0.0005 cents per liter, then all mm-hmm. of a sudden that becomes a much more practical uh, solution right. for using this and, technology. 
And you know, uh, for the listeners at home, you know, the, a, a uh, synthetic biology fermentation vessel may hold tens of thousands of liters, and so the the cost of the control chemical in a very large reaction vessel can really add up, is what you're saying. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I see. Okay. And so on a on a therapeutic side of things, you might there there are molecules that just will not work. Uh, inside of the human body or maybe in an agricultural context. Uh, You need to have a molecule that has the right sort of uh, pharmacokinetics dynamics that will actually be able to get to where you need that protein switch is activity to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, And a lot of the switches just don't have that. Uh, They're not practical. Whereas the ability to build protein switches that do respond to FDA approved drugs, Mm-hmm. Uh, or generally recognized safe molecules really starts to create a suite of protein switches that respond to much more clinically practical chemicals. Mm-hmm. So this isn't just industrial microbiology. This is potentially a whole new suite of genetic switches and tools to help control genes for therapeutics. Exactly. In, exactly. in humans, for instance, or, at, or animals, or, or to turn genes on and off in agriculture. Yeah, and that's... You know, one of the reasons I got into synthetic biology was because of the promise of scalability. Self-replicating programmable engineered organisms are an incredibly powerful tool if you're allowed to deploy them. And unless we have a way to control and contain, then it's going to be very difficult to deploy these organisms. The control is what gives us our complex biological behavior. So stacking these protein switches together. And the containment is what ensures that nothing goes terribly wrong if we do decide to deploy these organisms. And so that's the other side of of why what we are doing differently. So when we are building these protein switches, we are really focused on a couple of different activities of, of, of applications. One of those, as we've been discussing, is the control, and the other side, as we also touched on, is containment. And it's really the combination of these two, we believe, that is going to, number one, imbue engineered organisms with much more complex behavior, and number Mm -hmm. two, ensure that that engineered behavior remains contained to where it is desired. Mm -hmm. Right, so uh, you mentioned the the concept of switches and you drew an analogy to electronics and transistors of course it's combination of transistors that make things like logic gates and so exactly and so you'll be able to expand the number of different kinds of circuits that one could make such that um, you would need to administer two compounds sort of the so-called and in making a so-called and gate if you will uh, only in the presence of this and that would you be? Would you uh, coax the organism to uh, express the desired gene at the desired time and things like that? Exactly. Express mm-hmm. the desired gene at the desired time. Mm-hmm. Only be active for a certain time or in a certain place. Mm-hmm. And this sort of this combination of sensing and inputs and actuation, mm-hmm. we really see as, as the future of synthetic biology. Mm-hmm. And you know, as a very early example of this, uh, just looking at the biocontainment side of things, what we have done is we engineered a pro- two different types of protein switches into an E. coli, 
one protein switch required chemical A, the other protein switch required chemical B. And now that whole organism requires both chemical A and chemical B in order to survive. Because the and genes that, can, that are controlled by the addition of A and B are essential genes, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's the key there, right. Mm -hmm. And so this, while very kind of simple example, illustrates the idea of how we can put these multiple growth requirements into an engineered organism. Mm -hmm. This is a really, really basic form of genetically encoded user authentication. A mm -hmm. passcode. Uh, obviously, it's it's two letters. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. I can't remember sure. the last time I had a two-letter passcode. Right. But you know, uh, we continue to build more protein switches mm -hmm. that respond to more and diverse small molecule chemicals mm -hmm. uh, that allow us to really increase the size of that length of that path password. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Now, you know, uh, famously. Uh, this reminds me of the the, the so-called biocontainment strategy in uh, the wonderful movie Jurassic Park, right? <laughs> uh, they made the dinosaurs dependent on some amino acid, which they couldn't get other than, uh, you know, from the uh, dinosaur keepers. And of course, that end up, they, you know, in the novel, it ends up not actually working. I mean, how hard have you pressed on, you know, the, and the, the, the Jeff Goldblum character, uh, you know, is the skeptic in the movie and he says, oh, life will find a way around this. How hard have you applied, you know, pressure on these organisms and what are your calculations around mutation rates? Yeah. Uh, you know, so to, to ensure that they don't sort of e quote unquote evolve their way out and around from, uh, from these controls. If, if I were to kind of make the, the Gabriel Lopez corollary to life finds a way, mm -hmm. uh, I think my version of that would be life finds a way with a certain probability. And so that is really the key. This is something that is very measurable, uh, mm -hmm. the degree to which life finds a way. And we mm -hmm. actually measure this. We call this the escape frequency. Uh -huh. So in the context of a biocontainment uh, switch, wherein we impose chemical control over an essential process, like a DNA replication, uh, a really good single protein switch might, might break once every 100 million to 1 billion cells per mm -hmm. day, mm -hmm. which sounds great. Sounds like a lot. Uh, until oh, that's not realize, that many bacteria. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's one milliliter. That's that's right. a, about the size of my, you know, one little knuckle of my pinky. So, huh? What, what do we do about that? Uh, well, we benefit by adding a second, uh, different uh, containment switch in there, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the the robustness uh, scales multiplicatively. Right. So now, if we add a third, a fourth then we start to get into an area where it actually, the challenge becomes actually proving that mm -hmm. number because there's you know, a, about one times 10 to the 32 cells on the planet. And in theory, we could make a system that that's that the robust, but we just don't have the Petri dish big enough to do that. Right, right. So you have protein switches and you can, and, and there are new ones, and you can, you can expand greatly the library of control chemicals that you can add to turn genes on and off. And you can turn genes on and require the presence of these chemicals in order just to get the bugs to stay alive as a means of biocontainment. So that's really interesting. Yeah, are there any intellectual property applications to this technology? 
Certainly, and this is something that we have seen a lot of interest and in, in, in concern around. And that is that it takes a lot of time and energy and, 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 and resources to build a useful engineered organism, mm -hmm. whether that organism is producing a you know, commodity chemical or, or whatever it does, you can bet that you know, many million, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars have gone into that organism. Mm -hmm. And you know, if, if you think about what that organism is, it's a self-replicating microscopic uh, entity. Mm -hmm. And if you're thinking about maybe stealing one of these things, usually if you're thinking about something to steal, it's a lot easier to steal something small than it is to steal something large. I bet you if I, if we were to try to steal uh, a little diamond, it would be a lot easier than trying to steal an oil tanker, mm -hmm. uh, especially if the diamonds could self-replicate. Mm -hmm. So now in this case, this is a, a big problem for folks who've already put all this time and effort into these bugs because how do they how do they keep control of them? And so I think this is actually a, a big problem that there is not a great solution to. Mm -hmm. uh, our technology helps, I would say. At this point, we can we provide a solution, but at the end of the day, even though we can dictate when and where these organisms will be able to survive, even mm -hmm. though we can layer on uh, these user authentication systems. Mm -hmm. You could, someone can just deep sequence all of the uh, microbes surrounding their target biomanufacturing hub, mm -hmm. get all of the DNA sequences that they need, be able to tease out where that value is, and then rebuild it. Mm -hmm. So in the same way that the world's best lock is only going to slow people down, motivated people down. I would say that we, this biocontainment technology, biosecurity technology against a motivated uh, person will slow them down. But mm -hmm. I don't think there is a, a be all end all solution here. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, you know, there's, it, there's, there's two pieces to this, right? So yes, you could uh, obtain, however you do so, the, the DNA of the organism, sequence it and reconstruct the genome. But then you still need the identity of the trigger molecules, right? And you'd have to you'd have to suss that out in some other way, and that you know, and predicting a priori what molecule, what small molecule is going to bind to your your protein switch, if all you have is the amino acid sequence of the protein switch, still a, a bit of a challenge now in terms of molecular modeling. Certainly, and I think that you know. Again, a motivated person with enough time and resources is going to figure it out eventually. Mm -hmm. uh, and what, what we can provide though is just increasing the cost. Mm -hmm. And that is likely gonna be sufficient in many cases. Doesn't need to be perfect. It just needs it to be more expensive right. uh, and right. to discourage mm -hmm. folks. Interesting. So we've we've covered the technology and uh, and and talked about how it can be used uh, in general terms. the The topic of IP reminds me to ask you. So, what projects are you in fact working on? Uh, obviously, don't violate any confidentiality <laughs> agreements you may have with partners or customers. But you know, if you can give us a couple of general descriptions of concrete examples. So, we have ongoing projects that are quite confidential. So I can't say too much about them. Sure. What I can say is that if if we were to look at the favorite platforms 
uh, for synthetic biology, for biomanufacturing, about 90%, I'd guess, would probably be E. coli, B. subtilis, yeast. Uh, that, that captures most of them. Mm -hmm. and th uh, and these are the favorite organisms of synthetic biology designers because their molecular biology is already so well understood. Exactly. And mm -hmm. they're safe. Uh, yes. Especially these mm -hmm. lab strains of, or, or uh, mm -hmm. industrial strains of, of these microbes. Right. They're not going to kill you. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. They're going to have trouble even getting a toehold into you. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are a lot of other microbes that are out there that have very unique metabolisms uh, mm -hmm. that have really interesting metabolic superpowers that uh, conceivably can provide much more value in, in uh -huh. biomanufacturing. Mm -hmm. But because they just they don't have the track record, you know, sometimes uh, either uh, fairly or not, they may be perceived as having safety issues. Mm -hmm. And so being able to ensure that these organisms are contained and control mm -hmm. uh, is an area that starts to open up uh, a new ways of doing biomanufacturing. Uh, so that's as much as I will say there. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that's interesting. Great. So what's next for Synvidia? So let's say all your hopes and dreams in these ongoing projects, uh, you know, come true, and your partners, you know, successfully create, uh, you know, commercially viable processes with uh, the organisms you're helping them engineer. You know, so what what happens next? Yeah, I, for us, you know, we we are approaching this. Uh, the the our technology development and deployment in a two with a two stage plan, uh, really starting with industrial biomanufacturing, because there's a lot of value there that bringing control and containment really can provide. Uh, really, really specifically thinking around uh, two stage fermentations, dynamic uh, metabolic control. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a lot of value we can unlock. Longer term it's a two stage fermentation. Oh yeah, so uh, a, a two stage fermentation. Uh, so not so many organisms uh, that have been engineered to produce uh, a valuable product uh, will have will have to grow and produce mm -hmm. oftentimes at the same time. Yep, which means that these organisms must be delicately balanced to split their metabolism between growth and production, uh -huh. uh, which means that you get an organism that grows acceptably and produces fair enough. Mm -hmm. uh, but the ability to decouple this growth and production mm -hmm. to be in a growth stage followed by a production stage actually allows one to get the best of both worlds. So now you can grow as fast as you possibly can. And, you know, with exponential growth, that's fast. Mm -hmm. And then switch off growth, switch on production. Now you don't have this kind of so-so production, all of metabol metabolic powers going into your target product. And that same principle is also really useful if you're trying to produce something that the organism doesn't like, that's maybe toxic to its metabolism. Uh -huh. Now you can grow your organisms up without them getting tripped up by whatever your you know toxic byproduct is or product, mm -hmm. and then crank it out once you've uh, grown your organism up. Got it. 
Okay, great. So uh, one last question before I let you go today. Thank you for all the for the time that you spent with us. Of course, uh, you know, we are uh, still right now uh, at this, you know, uh, on this recording day, uh, you know, in the in the teeth of the COVID-19 uh, uh, outbreak. And uh, so I ask uh, all of the companies that we uh, that we interview, what, if any, are you uh, are you working on that may be related to the COVID outbreak? Yeah, so the when I like when I think about Synvivia's one of what do we value? What are some of our core value propositions? Mm-hmm. Especially when it comes to biocontainment, it is that we can take a dangerous organism or pathogen and make it safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can take an organism and control when it can replicate and survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, taking that to a pathogen like SARS-CoV-2. Mm-hmm. Uh, provide some very interesting applications. With our technology, in principle, we can convert the live wild-type pathogen into a vaccine mm-hmm. just by changing its ability to survive. Mm-hmm. And so that's something uh, that you know we have been, I can't say too much about it, but it is something that we are mm-hmm. sure. looking into. We'll say that. And I would also okay. note mm-hmm. that this technology applies not to just SARS-CoV-2, but pretty much any pathogen. I see. Okay. Well, uh, we will stay tuned and hope for uh, hope for good news uh, out of Synvivia on that front uh, um, in the future. So uh, thanks to my guest, Gabriel Lopez, CEO and co-founder of Synvivia. Thanks, Gabriel. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. And also a big thank you to our producers, Kristen Zender and Carrie Sassine. And as always, our terrific recording engineer, Matt from HeartCast Media. Until next time, thanks for tuning in. Be safe and stay well.